I'm Satima and I'm Jen and this is Sassy Jam in Conversation. This is Sassy Jam in Conversation episode one and we are saying episode one but that does not mean this is a regular thing. Thank you. I think sometimes you just want to have a conversation. I think sometimes something so significant happens in our space that you need to talk about it and you talk about it constantly and you recommend it constantly and I think this is one of those occasions. And what am I talking about Jen Jen? We're talking about the Small Axe anthology that has been out on BBC One over the last five weeks, um, written and directed by Steve McQueen. Yeah. Let's not pretend that nobody knows that this is a thing because we should all know it's a thing by now. Yeah. No, some people don't know it's a thing. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you don't support black art. But you know what? A lot of people don't. Or even be, but I mean, it's not even just you don't support black art. Are you telling me you're not paying attention to... BBC One, 9pm on a Sunday, that's prime time. Like, you'll know where Poldark is on, but you can't tell me that you didn't know Small Axe was on. Even if you don't know what it's about, yeah. don't tell me you didn't know it existed. But yeah. that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? Conversation about Because there's people who are like, oh, yeah, we don't have enough stuff for us. But when things are available to you, are you involved? Are you there? Are you frequent? Are you watching it? Um, as we said, prime time. And prime time, like, means something the fact to get a prime time slot on television means something but we can also we've got to remember like steve mcqueen isn't like some like little lowly down director he if you type black british director into google his face comes up so he's um our most famous um black british export um so we kind of also have to remember that it's probably the reason he's given this he can pretty much you know literally shit on his hands and put it on the screen and it would get commissioned um <laughs> I was just gonna say I don't know about literally, but <laughs> let's not test that theory, Steve. Let's not test that theory. Anyway, so yeah, we just want to have a little bit of a discussion about the episode and kind of run down our favorites and stuff. Uh, we'll try and do no spoilers, although some of the stuff is historical, so it's not a spoiler if it happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so episode one. <laughs> Episode one was, uh, and actually you should talk about episode one. You, you were really into episode one, weren't you? Um, episode one, Mangrove. Yeah, episode one, it's called Mangrove. Uh, I actually went and saw it at the British Film Festival um, and as well. And then I obviously watched it on TV again because ratings matter. <laughs> catch your mind afterwards and watch you Strictly Come Dancing. Literally, just put it on. <laughs> you watch it, watch it. <laughs> you don't understand, ratings really matter. Um, so Mangrove was it was really epic as well it was like a ch- big film it wasn't like a small small little no. oh I'm gonna watch it it's, I've really got to sit down and give you my time the, the news was moved for this shit um, mm. and that really surprised me as well like I didn't know it was going to be like feature length and it yeah. was and it was great and it didn't feel like it was um, which is another plus side but yeah it was the solid what was it an hour and a half or two hours maybe two hours and ten minutes eight minutes yes exactly so if you're preparing to give your time to it, it ain't really <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was. Uh, so basically, I've worked on quite a few history documentaries in that area in Nottingham, and this is a story that I was fully aware of and have been like pushing. Why don't we talk? Why don't we tell the mangrove story? But basically, most most of the people involved are like dead or don't really speak publicly, or mm. you know, that's or don't live in the UK. Um, so they, that story hasn't been told. Um, and I think actually when it started showing, it kind of irked me because the commentator or the person, the announcer, what they, what they, what they called for this project? Presenter? 
Right. Who I don't know where you where were you who who announced it who in front of the show like you know right, right before the show it's like next up on BBC One oh uh, I think they're just the announcers okay right the voiceover the voice the random voiceover people on the BBC One like next up on BBC One we have one of Britain's black untold history wait what is it untold history is it untold or unknown yeah. untold histories or whatever it is and it's like okay this is actually. There has never been a case that was thrown out of all courts and then taken to your Bailey. That is, mm. it is such a monumental case. The story of black people being arrested and taken to court isn't news. That's not why it's a historical thing. It's, it's a historical or Bailey case. Um, and for context, the, old, um, the Mangrove Nine basically um, depicts whew, the story of French Kitcho. He was um, a business owner in Notting Hill in the 60s and 70s. And in the 70s, he opened this restaurant. He did have a bit of dodgy past before opening the Rio, which is known for the Kristen Keeler controversy um, or story or whatever affair, former <laughs> affair and stuff. But he, you know, had moved on from that, closed down that place, and he opened up a legal restaurant called the Mangrove, and he served food. The Mangrove over the years was um, searched and harassed by the police many, many, many times, um, and basically they decided to protest. They did a peaceful protest and as they do, the police surrounded them and kind of uh, aggravated the crowd. And they, a few people got arrested, including Pranch Kitchko, Dark as Howe, Barbara BC, Althea Jones, Lacroix <laughs> Jones, and Jones um, were all arrested. And the case, the case was thrown out of court because there was no reason that they should be arrested for cause of riot and fray. But then it was taken to the old Bailey um, to make, basically to make, what's the word? An example. An example. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and you're right, it's historic. And like, even I'm sure like lawyers, I'm sure as they're being taught British law, it must be a thing that comes up because it's historical. Yeah. British historical as well. Exactly. It's a massive civil case that happened and it's also historical because um darkest how and Al althea lacroix jones defended themselves um so the first half i feel like kind of documents the story of the mangrove and the second half is pretty much a courtroom drama who doesn't love a bloody courtroom who drama? doesn't love a courtroom drama and i think the split was done so well so i think that's part of the reason why it doesn't feel as long as it is because you're sort of really getting engrossed in Mangrove and what's happening at the, at the restaurant and just the unfairness of it all and meeting all those characters. And then it switches and it's like, crap, they're defending themselves. I admit, I didn't know much about the history as I watched it. So I was on the edge of my seat. I was like, what's going to happen next? You know, are they going to be, are they going to go to prison? Is it all going to be fine? Um, so yeah, it was just, it was just told really, really well. And, and it just felt quite authentic. Yeah. And they obviously had to use like CGI to create the kind of um, the skyline of Notting Hill and like, <laughs> and I just, it was really, I really moved me. Like, and I was so, 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 so loved it. And obviously the performances, um, Letitia Wright and my absolute favorite, Mark. <laughs> Sorry, the Malachi Kirby. I know. Me away. <laughs> How? how did he manage to look like Dr. South? Tell me how. How did he do it, Sway? How? He literally is like, it was just really, really, I honestly would use the word flawless to describe the performance. There was nothing wrong with it. It was so, so good. And it was so, so moving. And there are so many moments in it where you feel moved as well. And I think that is um, 
really something to kind of witness on a Sunday night. Yeah. And learn a bit of something too, you know? Exactly. Learn a bit of our British history um, as well. Number two. Yeah, week three. So the week after Mangrove came out, we had Lover's Rock. Um, I mean, you're just better at the descriptions than I am. So I was going to be like, hey, can you uh, now describe what Lover's Rock is about, um, please? <laughs> well, describe the context of what lo- uh, Lover's Rock is about. And I can just do the general or the ep- uh, happened in the episode. You can do the context. Okay. So Lover's Rock, well, I guess, was a musical movement that was around in the 70s and 80s. Um, which is like a mix of like reggae, I wouldn't use the word R&B, I'd really use m- maybe the word soul, um, and a lot of British singers, black British singers, were sort of performing Lovers Rock, so in that time a lot of black people obviously weren't really allowed into certain spaces, so they would create their own spaces where they'll be able to play Lovers Rock and have a nice time, and it was basically like little hubs, like house parties, which they were called blues dances, and um, Lovers Rock depicts not an actual specific party, but <laughs> kind of a. A, a, a lover's rock or blues party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I must say, I've spoken to and I follow a lot of and um, I communicate with a lot of older Caribbean people who would have been around in the 70s and 80s or whatever. And they were like, this isn't accurate. One lady was like, <laughs> which I found really funny. They didn't even eat. No one ate <laughs> the party, but like. That was good. <laughs> yeah there was food so she was like no one even ate all the food they cooked it was like okay you know <laughs> um but I think that kind of highlights as a problem what we have as a nation that we have so few of our programs on tv that we can't have something that just depicts that is an artistic version of something mm. we want it to be exactly what we need it to be everything and it can't be everything yes and we need to be everything because we don't know if we'll get that opportunity again so it's like no no put all the historical facts in this it's like okay no but this is partially fiction or this has a budget and actually this has to fit um into 60 minutes on bbc one so we don't have time to put in every little piece of detail that makes it completely accurate to you know an experience that you've had when it was going on so yeah that's a bit yeah it's an upside downside isn't it yeah, and I felt like sad for them that they couldn't enjoy it the way we loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I'm not gonna lie. When I first started watching it, I was a bit like, "What's going on here?" Because in a way, there's no storyline. There is a storyline. It's about two characters, Al- Aubrey, Aubrey and Franklin, oh, Aubin, Aubin and Franklin, who meet during one of these uh parties and they're just a vibe in it like you know you just catch their eye across the room you catch eyes they cut cool eyes and then their vibes in and there's music and they're dancing and it's just before I even got to that point I was a bit like what's happening like who's these characters who's sneaking out of their mama's bedroom at night or whatever or their mama's house at night like where are you going but you sort of just get you just sort of end up being picked up and swept up in the thrall of the episode and the music and the vibes and the kind of people and just that small claustrophobic room where everyone's dancing and the beat is just like you know but bursting eardrums and the wall is dripping with condensation because you can just imagine like I sort of started going back to like house parties at uni and you know you just the, the walls are just dripping because you know everyone just it's obviously it's not the same because that was in you know 2000 and whatever it was and this is in the 1980s but it just transports you to a time or more like not even a time a feeling it transports you to a feeling of happiness and inclusion and the outside world doesn't exist and who you are 
is who you are in that moment in time. And there's just something about it that by the end of the episode, I wanted to rewind it and watch it all over again. And there's really like, really, there was like little movies, like there's a bit where, this is some of the bits people didn't like, there's a bit where everyone's singing along and just enjoy and enjoying. There is, yeah. It's like a seven minute monologue of just like black joy. Mm-hmm. What does black joy look like? What's British black joy look like? Here you go. That's literally it. That's it. It's black joy. There was none of that. You know, what's happening on the outside? You know, people are being racist to us. Then, you know, our lives isn't going as well as we think we it is or whatever. It wasn't about any of that. It was just about happiness. It was just about happiness and living in the moment. And, you know, like, you know, as soon as the lights went down and like outside is night and it's just everything just happened in that one night. And... Yeah, it was just even just talking about it now, like I'm vibes in, like <laughs> reload the track, DJ, like play it back for me one more time. I was loving, I was loving life. Yeah, I was loving it. It did. It was. It was honestly. I and I didn't expect. I was like, oh, what is this? I, same as she. I was like, mm. but then just kind of watching people enjoy and like just are uh, just nice, and it felt like weirdly nostalgic for mm. also like uh, Caribbean heritage, even. Um, yeah. So that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. That it was still nostalgic and we could still relate to it so deeply. Yeah. 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 Because I feel like we've all been in those spaces. I think there's something about being black and being British, even though we are here, we Mm. spend the majority of your life just being around black people and enjoying Mm -hmm. that joy and having everyone understand that and understand you. And kind of when you get older, you kind of get taken out of that space and you suddenly people who don't understand you the realities of life so being able to watch things that are just exclusively black gives you that joy back because you don't get it every day um, no. which is why things like this are so important. and I'm not going to say that people missed out on the point because that's not for me to say what the point was or wasn't what their feelings of yeah are. exactly but a lot of people are like oh you know what's the storyline like what what is even about like what's even happening like you know the, the people had so many questions about these characters and to a certain extent I had those questions too but I realized it wasn't important about what was going on outside of yeah. that space I mean it's called lovers rock so we don't care what happens on a Sunday morning kind of thing <laughs> we care about what's happening on that Saturday night and what was happening was a black joy that's what was happening on a and I think if people Saturday want an art piece and they watch it as just if they I think if you watch it with the same energy that we've got for it now that's mm. like if you're not in there expecting a proper proper storyline expecting the history of like it ain't all of that I think that's how you can enjoy it and I think that you can kind of try it but you know what what I will give it to that everyone I do know even if they criticized it they still watched it and that's mm-hmm. how important they still sat down on Sunday night and actually watched instead of just saying oh this isn't accurate or the accents or whatever it is but mm-hmm. they watched it so they could give their full opinion and support it <clears throat> and episode mm-hmm. three, what was episode three it was red, white, and blue. Yeah. This was, oh, God, I forgot the guy's name. This is telling the story of Leroy. What's his name? Last name. I'm glad at last names, you know, Jen. I'm bad at names. I was waiting for you to finish the sentence. Um, Leroy Logan. Nailed it. Uh, Leroy Logan. Okay, so it tells the story of Leroy Logan, who actually went on to be one of the... Um, um, to be um, the head of the, uh, I think, the diversity board or something. In mm-hmm. Basically, it's about his choice to join the police. I think it's actually set in the 80s, no? It's not set in the um, I think so, yeah. 
And I would have thought it would have been about like the first black police officer, but it was about this guy. So this is one of the. It's a bit about this rando. You <laughs> <laughs> see, like a big character, a historical figure, but I was a bit like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. That took me by surprise as well. Um, I expected it, but then it was quite nice to be in the eighties, I guess, because it was nice to like move around um, different. Eh, what's the word I'm using? Decades. That was mm. cool. so I did like I did I think this one was like more biographical and it was it was just interesting wasn't it like it was just like oh okay cool yeah it was a good snippet of Logan's life kind yeah. of thing like it was like okay and they had some really like like John Boyega um there was a couple of scenes that were just spot on um I'm not going to spoil it but let's just say there's a staff room scene and I'm just yelling every time I watch it I'm like why didn't you anyway watch it um <laughs> and then there's another really powerful shot in there um, when he opens up his locker and something is scr- scrawled on it and it's just done really well. He handles himself really well and you can really feel the the pent-up anger that slowly bubbles to the surface because Logan's quite a level-headed guy throughout. You know, he joins the force specifically after seeing his dad being um, wrongfully assaulted by the police and that's sort of what spurs him to, you know, give up his job as a some sort of, biomedical engineer some sort of like standard black job no I'm just joking give up his as a he was a biology he was a research scientist that's what he was he was a research scientist and he gave up the safety of the lab to join the police force and being one of the only black people there wasn't first but he was (laughs) it was far and few between and so yeah that was a it was a really interesting snippet of his life yeah definitely and I think it's I do actually think it's really important story to tell as well because of like if I was to meet a police officer, a black police officer, in fact, I know a black police officer, but I didn't know, I didn't know he's not, he just became a police officer this year. And the moment, the first moment we were alone, I was like, so you're a police officer. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's quite a lot of like judgment and there's a lot of questions and there's a mm. lot of trying to understand. Um, and even now, which is quite interesting as well, isn't it? Not even though things have to an extent changed so much um, just with accepting, uh, acceptance and things like that. It's still relevant today. Mm-hmm very much so very much so um so yeah that was that was quite good yeah liked it john john can do no wrong yeah you're not wrong although what i will say about this movie that i wasn't a fan of is the female characters they barely spoke like he had a sister she didn't say anything she definitely had things going on in her life i sensed it in her eyes when the camera panned past her i was like she's got things going on you know i want to know what she's up to he had a wife you know he had a wife and she was just like I've given up things to support you I'm like what things because I don't know anything about you kind of thing in fact I didn't know you guys were married there's like things like that and like the mother as well like and even like his, his mother in, like his wife was like Nigerian or something accent wasn't great on there I was really trying to spot that the internet had to tell me yeah that- I didn't even realize she was supposed to be Nigerian coming from a Nigerian person <laughs> <laughs> that's I'm not like criticizing who I am but like I feel like yeah, I didn't get to know her at all. She was just there as like a figurehead. But I guess the story was about um her, I mean him. Leroy. Leroy. And in a way, in a way his dad as well a little bit. Like really a story between Leroy and his dad, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and even though his dad didn't say much towards towards the like the um second half of the movie, he didn't say much. But you could really get a sense of where he was coming from. You could tell the torture he was going through, what he was going through after his ordeal. Like, I think that really came out and he didn't even have much dialogue. <laughs> you know, strong black man character, quote unquote. He didn't like, you know, verbalise 
you know, what was going on inside him based on, you know, what happened with him, the police, but that you really got a sense of that, which is great. Um, the same way I got a sense that his sister Hyacinth, something was going on in her life too. You know, it wasn't verbalized, yeah, just I saying. <laughs> That's why I just remembered her name. She's the only name I remember too. Hmm. That's hilarious. We even struggled with Leroy's name. So Epic <laughs> or um, Alex. Can I do the historical context of Alex Whittle? Yeah, man. That's that's what you're here for. I'm just here for the <laughs> colour. <laughs> I'm here to add colour to things. Um, yes, yeah, so Alex Whittle tells the story of author Alex Whittle, who I, I've read Brixton Rock. I don't know if anyone else has read it. I don't know if you've read it, Jen Jen. But no, I have not. Uh, Brixton Rock's a really good story about a, uh, a boy who's bought up for adoption and then like, finds his family when he's 16. So now I have context about Alex's life. Mm. But also, um, in the wor- the world and the space of the 1981 Brixton riots, and if you know kind of the lead up to the riots, there was quite so sus laws were fucking rife at the time for one, and also a few months before or a few weeks before the riots, there was a fire in New Cross, and 13 teenagers were dead. It was a party, and how the fire was started was never fully investigated. Um, and how these 13 young people lost their lives was never investigated mm-hmm. and protested and the you know, slogan for it was 13 dead, nothing said. Um, so it kind of has that in the backdrop as well as the story of Alex Whittle, which is an interesting one on its own. Um, and what are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was very, the, ver- the first half of the movie, I think was very strong. You know, we meet Alex at a young age as he's in a foster care um, or some sort of home or something like that. You know, we meet him at a young, young, at a young age. Um, we see how the house mistress mistreats him. We get a, a snippet of him at school, which was just such a heartbreaking scene. Um, he gets into a fight, but then puts gets put in a straight jacket. And you're just like, wow, kind of thing. And, you know, Steve does his classic really long holding of a shot Uh, (laughs) textbook Stephen Queen (laughs) but like you really feel the emotion as you're just staring at him unblinkingly on the floor and and then he sort of goes from that to then because he's from Surrey Surrey yeah it's he's in Surrey and then he grows up and moves to um South London and it's just sort of beautiful to see his sort of eyes open to be like wow there are other black people around like there's only other one black guy in my school nobody else in the home I was with and it's fantastic and he meets people and he's just like hi I'm Alex with like and it's just I thought it was just so sweet and in a, in a sense I don't like to use the word learns to be black but he learns to he learns there's another side to him basically a side that's accepted and a side that is loved a side that is that just basically shows this is not just him kind of thing and I think that basically takes you up to the first maybe 20 minutes 25 minutes of the uh, the movie and I think that was really really strong and I really enjoyed it that's quite an interesting thing you said there about he learns that he can be loved because even in it there is that kind of like oh why do you behave like this or whatever whatever but even in that they still love him is mm-hmm. this kind of thing of like he gets this um surrogate family and it's like okay there's this weird boy who's coming from sorry and he doesn't know how to be cool and he doesn't really know how to be like chill or anything but I'm gonna bring him in I'm gonna look after him I'm gonna nurse him he's gonna be like my baby brother and yeah. that it's quite touching to see because they seem to live in some sort of like post I don't know where the hell they're living it's in like a boarding house but I thought those stopped being a thing in like 1800s like where everyone's renting a room in a big house no, I had an uncle who lived in a little, like, bedsit. Oh, yeah, maybe that's what it is. It's like in a big sort of Victorian house and everyone rents a room. Yeah. 
So it's a bit like, oh, and yeah, so the other guys. But as we said, there's that whole backdrop of like being stopped by the police and like him also trying to come to terms with his identity. So I kind of feel like mm. if we lose that story and he starts to focus on the other stuff a bit, when he pops yeah. up, sometimes I don't even recognise him. I'm like, is this Alex? <laughs> Yeah, you know? cut to six months later or however long it's been, and it's yeah, he's, he's got, got an accent now. He walks with a limp, like you know, he's got a cool jacket. He's just a different person, and I was a bit like, maybe I'm not paying attention. Maybe I need to rewind it. Um, yeah, and because it's supposed to be a character's journey, I think, like it, like you said, someone they bring him into the fray. They're like, I'm going to teach you this shit. Like you know, it's going to be cool. But then we almost, in a sense, lose that part of his journey. To then cut to it, him like suddenly really being into music, kind of thing, like a friend coming down from sorry, and then they're both basically having the same journey, but we don't really get to experience that growth that they've had in a sense. So it was a bit like whiplash or disconcerting, I should say, to suddenly he's he's basically a different person. Twenty five minutes into the movie, it needed to be longer because these what so basically only mangrove not mangrove is the long one. The rest of them, yeah, short. So maybe they needed more time for us to really know him. And then they could do the other stuff slowly. But it did feel like there's a whole beautiful monologue about the new crossfire. Mm. Like, oh, this is interesting. But then you're yeah. like, in the larger context of this. It's a bit random. There, like, let's get back to Alex. Like, and yeah. it's almost like that basically segued into the Brixton riots because it felt like it wasn't really a thing with, like, you know, Alex's story that we've been following so far they like mentioned it once or twice about things that have been happening elsewhere but it didn't really feel like it was bubbling where he was and where he lived kind of thing at all even though he spent and like like, yeah so he clearly spends time in jail and there's also that as well yeah flashbacks of him in jail with this does it start with him in jail going to jail I think so I'm not even sure it happens quite like very early on like five minutes in he's walking into his jail cell and you're like okay so then so, so you kind of get, so I guess he went to jail for the riots, but like, maybe that's what it is, because maybe you didn't have to be heavily into rioting in your life or be like difficult <laughs> to get arrested and go to jail for the riots. Mm. But I feel like, okay, here's my conclusion was like, it was a coincidence that Alex Whittle, the writer, happened to go to jail for the Brixton riots because he was living in Brixton at the time and he had friends involved and, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. That was a coincidence. And I don't think they needed to tell that story. There were so many other well first of all other like series of rights that there are other things to cover that would probably make it a bit more individual or make it feel a bit more organic to Alex's story because there was three things going on at the same time it was like you're like oh my gosh how did Alex get to jail like you know what's happening here what's going to happen after he leaves prison and then it's like oh the Brixton riot and then it's like okay Alex's journey from literally childhood to you know adulthood so there's that's a lot to cover in an hour maybe an hour and five minutes but that's still a lot to cover and I got to the end and I basically had a sense that I was just like no no this isn't the story that I wanted in a way I know it's not for me to say but I feel like either Alex's or the riots I don't yeah I think Alex's story alone actually would have been quite moving but because we stopped focusing on it mm-hmm. a bit and even at the end it comes back to him you're like oh yeah, and he again, he's a, he's a changed person again. So he's changed for like the third time in this movie and you sort of feel like you've missed all his changes. Okay, the last one made a little bit more sense because he's ruminating on what his um, cellmate has said to him and he becomes this whole new person. But then we don't, I don't know how long it's been since he's come out of prison. I don't know. I don't know anything. Kind of Does he still keep in contact with these people? Apparently he doesn't. Why not? Like there's a lot. I feel like there's a lot missing and 
um, the parts that were missing, I felt like were more interesting than the parts that were shown, specifically from like 20 minutes to the end, so the last 40 minutes. So that's basically two thirds of the movie, isn't it? Um, interesting to call them movies as well, considering they're around an hour long, but that's what they are. And the final one was called Education. Education. Um, yeah, and that one only just came out. Um, so it's the freshest one in the old mind. Yeah, so it's quite fresh in mind. Should I do the historical content? Yes, you should. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> right. So as we all know, black people started coming here. Oh, okay. So the education <laughs> act made education equal and free for all until you're at least of the age 16 back in 1944. Mm -hmm. And then they sort of introduced the grammar school system. So the grammar school system basically meant like the top kids went to grammar school and then everyone else kind of went to like manual schools. But then like the sub-educated, the people who are really uh, those who have had more difficulties went to send schools, which is for the subnormal um education schools. So um yeah. And basically what happened over the 60s, 70s, and even in the 80s, and to be honest with you, probably continuing on today, especially with mm. black boys, um, a lot of boys were boys and girls, black people, Caribbean, <laughs> were, if they were difficult in any way, shape or form or struggling, they were automatically seen as sub, um, educationally subnormal and put into these schools um, instead of the teachers dealing with them. And because of this, because parents started to notice this, they kind of put themselves together and they started making these supplementary schools, which literally supplement their education that they're missing out on. Um, and yeah, and it was a real movement. And I think it changed a lot of people's lives. Um, Akala in his book actually references supplementary schools in actually having a massive effect on why well, he's such an intelligent man. Um, literally, basically. And I, I know I went to a Saturday school as a kid. Same. Um, and I've got like three brothers and even so even me like I talk a lot um <laughs> I in school my first parent season would always be especially in primary school would always be sat and talk to like them just complaining about how much I spoke as opposed to actually looking at me as a student and looking at me as someone who's hard working and curious and whatever but they would try and highlight the trouble first mm. and because I'm lucky enough to be to not let that shit bother me and know, oh no, it's fine. Um, that was fine for me. But if you, there are lots of young boys, especially I would say, that that would have profound effects on. And they, it's what, it's like self um, fulfilling fallacy. Like if you keep pushing this idea that you're not smart, you're bad, you're naughty, you're disruptive, all of that, instead of nurturing them and helping them grow. I'm realizing people learn differently. Like, yeah. you know, where, yes, we're in a school system where everybody is basically, taught the exact same way um but it's that phrase like if you what's it if you tell if you ask a fish to climb a tree it spends its whole life thinking that it's stupid because obviously fish don't climb trees they swim <laughs> um so yeah so it's that isn't it it's you know not realizing that people are learn differently yeah and not putting the time and energy into those students probably because you're racist and you have <laughs> and you don't want to yep um so an education tells the story of one boy. Do you remember his name? I don't actually. I have no idea what his name is. Oh, I no, no, I do remember. It's uh oh Kingsley. Kingsley. Kingsley, oh. Yes, nailed it. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> and yeah, this one is inspired by true events. So um that, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> that's my adding to the historical context. It's inspired yeah. by <laughs> 
but not based on anybody specific. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Kingsley is going to just a regular schmegular degular school. Um, he's a little bit disruptive, but I mean, nothing, nothing crazy. He's not like, you know, breaking shit or like pushing over teachers or anything like that. Um, and then the headmaster brings in his mom and basically convinces him to go to this other school where he'd get a better kind of learning, you know, fit for somebody like Kingsley, who's spirited. So he says, and it's not really a school, is it? It's just a, it's a dumping ground for people, uh, for kids that, um, you know, the system can't be bothered to teach, doesn't want to tarnish their records. And that's basically it. And I think what was really interesting about edu education is it was both the school side we saw the, saw the faults on, but also the parental side that we saw the faults on. So obviously Kingsley's mum had had to agree to let him go to this school kind of thing. And she does. And, you know, she just, I thought, thought just thought it was really interesting because it's a case of like, you're going to school, so therefore you are getting an education. That's the beginning, middle and end of it all. Like she's working two jobs. She doesn't have time to, you know, know what her son is or isn't actually learning in school. And she doesn't really want to hear it because she doesn't have the time. Neither does his dad. We barely see, but get a sense that he also works long hours in a um, labor intensive job. Um, and they're not, they don't really care. It's you're in a better country and you're in an education like that's supposed to have a really good system for education. Therefore, you must be getting a great education. If they tell us that you need to go to this other school, I guess you need to go to this other school. And there's sort of no research done on their part. They're just sort of going along with what's been said because they're relying on this country that they've come to to be better than the place that they've left. Um, Isn't it? Like if your kids are misbehaving in school, surely it's them because there's no way in hell it would be the system. And a lot of our parents would have trusted the school system to kind of, oh, okay, you're being bad. Well, I'm going to take whatever punishment they give you. And, and um, I think that's the thing. Um, and it does take other people to come in and say to her, her especially, and there was a, a pamphlet that actually features in the book um, that was written. And it basically explains that there is a bias in the school that is not helping our children excel. Um, I'm still our children, yeah. <laughs> um, they're all our children mother in the 1950s. <laughs> um, but in that book it basically broke that down and said if you want your children to do better you have to kind of you have to put in the extra work and they it's really lovely actually when they go to the supplementary school and they don't just learn like um, arithmetic and okay maths English and science they also learn about um, black history black history and Caribbean and they're just and just encouraged like it was just such a small thing but at the supplementary school the teacher says well done King Kingsley you're such a smart boy and I felt so happy I'm like he just missed that entirely there was I yeah my periods during like one day <laughs> I'll cry right now and it was just I think it was just a really really lovely piece and I think it really it perfectly um encompassed a lot kind of thing about you saw the child's point of view you saw the school system's point of view in the background like running things you saw the people coming in to help you saw the parental side and even though some of these things were only like barely touched on kind of thing it they just did it really bloody well and I think you know little Kingsley no mummy mummy please listen mummy no I didn't do anything bad and there's a scene where his mum just comes in randomly and hits him and I was just like he's just drawing a rocket ship like he loves him some space now. He does. And it's just, 
I thought it was really sweet. And I don't know, maybe because I had like, I don't want to say problems of education, but I've always just not been a massive fan of the British education system and how they sort of treat individual kids, especially like um, kids from a black background. It's just not great. And you're just not encouraged and you're just left to sit at the back of the room. And who cares if you're doing averagely, they don't care if you're doing better or worse. Like they say like black girls in school, they just, basically they're just what is it they're average or they're they either coast they're both like statistically they're average just might have been at the time I'm, i don't look at school statistics anymore they're like either remain at an average level across the board that do any better or any worse or they're top of their game and that's in you know it's the schools um like brampton manor that really push and encourage every single person that they're at the top and you know and i've had those experiences with teachers who are just like oh yeah jen you're doing okay like I'd come and ask questions and be like, oh, you don't need to ask any questions. Like you're doing fine. Fine was good enough for them. Um, and so, yeah, I just thought, you know, it was just also another timely piece in terms of the fact that, you know, obviously this took place in what was it, the eighties. Yeah. And it's 20, it's 2020. And, you know, the core of what education stands for is still prevalent now. I was gonna put it on for my parents to watch, but they wouldn't have got it. I mean, they wouldn't. Have, they wouldn't have got my um, my subtle jibe. My subtle jibe there. They would have been like, "Why isn't Kingsley doing better in school?" And I'd be like, "Listen, you're missing the point, V." But, <laughs> but that's no, just. Sure, <laughs> you have to like leave them to it. I feel like when you try and actually sit, then you're like, mm? Mm? "They're like, no." that's it that's literally it but uh, yeah that's another that's another story for another day <clears throat> so there we have so did you have anything else to say yeah well we were gonna talk we were gonna top five it but we actually can't agree on our top five um at all so no. i don't know what you want to do i don't know so you can uh, go down your top five and say why your top was your top okay let's go in reverse order then um my least favorite of the lot as i'm sure you would have guessed by now was Alex Wheatle, um, just everything I said before, I think the story that I wanted wasn't shown. There was too much going on for me for the space of an hour. Um, so I didn't really feel like I really connected with anything that was happening on screen. Um, the fourth is Red, White and Blue. I didn't not like it. It was just a good, it was just standard, I think. Like it had some really good scenes in there. John Baker's acting was great. Um, that's all there is to say. Like <laughs> it was standard, but it didn't it didn't bring much didn't bring anything new for me in terms of like drama. Uh Mangrove Nine Mangrove was uh, my number three spot. I just thought it was a really I just thought it was a really great piece of history. And I think as well, part of the reason it's in that spot is the conversations that were being had on Twitter. Um, and you know, people being like, I went to school around the corner from that. I had no idea about this history, kind of thing. And it wasn't even that long ago, and you just sort of felt so enraged with what was happening to Frank you just you are you just emote you're just emote so um that was fab and then second in the second spot which was originally in the first spot but dropped down to the second spot after the watching of what's in the first spot is Lovers Rock um again another one that I was surprised to find made it up so far because during the first 10 minutes I was like what the hell is going on with this but like I said I think it's just how much like deep down, like just the joy you feel as you're watching it. I don't know anybody who wasn't singing along at the time. Like I just wanted to get up and wave about my hand. I'm lazy. So I just did it from my chair. I like really felt it. Like it was just a great piece. Um, and like I just love things that just happen over the course of one night as well. So that was great. And then number one, 
is uh, education. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, just for everything I just said, I think as well, when something's your favorite, it just has that extra personal connection. So I think watching that, like I said, I've always had a bit of a issue with the British education system and just how it's run and the teachers and things like that. So I think seeing that basically depicted, do you know what I mean? And I hope teachers and schools will watch that. And just because it happened in the past doesn't mean it's not happening now. And Kingsley, I mean, I don't normally like children actors because I just don't, but he really carried the movie and yeah, it was just a great piece. I could easily watch Education again. I'll go and watch it right now and then watch Love is Rock. So yeah, that, those are my five. That's really great. I was like, that's really great. Well done. I don't know why. <laughs> my turn. <laughs> so I'll start from bottom two. Yeah, same. Um, Alex Whittle. Um, although no, nothing takes away from Alex Whittle, but yeah, just not mm. in relation to everything else. Absolutely not. And the same as you, Red, White and Blue is number four. And I think that is simply just because... I ain't got too much to say about it. Do you know what I mean? Great, cool. Mm-hmm. I could have watched it for ages, but like not as a film. Um, num- my number three was education. Really loved it. I'm really, I'm happy like it ended it. Because I feel like, because what did we have last week? Alex Whittle. And I was a bit like, oh, I hope, you know, I hope, you know, we get a bit of a book. And we did get the book that we wanted. Um, <laughs> and there's like kind of like, those subtle things that people will act like they don't know and be like, oh my God, this country's racist. I did not know that. How could it be racist? Well, it starts when they're children. Um, I think, you know, it just drops that fine line there. Lovers rock. I just think, as we said, joy. I love seeing black joy. Um, I obviously was not there in the 70s, 80s um, and 90s. And I know there were other Lovers Rock songs around. And I know there, uh, there are many people who found certain scenes in it like, that would never happen. Okay. <laughs> about it but genuinely I just I just I just, I just love to watching people have fun in a room and it might be something about the fact that I have not been at a party in absolutely fucking donkey years at this point yeah. and a man take my waist in a long long time it <laughs> <laughs> really gave me some joy um for real um and then my top one was of course mangrove nine um, just the performances, the fact that it just had me. There were some bits that were almost painful to watch because police brutality is never easy, and to watch your people continuously be harassed like that is never fucking easy. And yeah, as I said, I've always wanted that story to be um, told, and now it is on the platform. It's on the BBC. It's on Amazon Prime. So people can see it worldwide, and people can really understand what people fought for in this country and what um, we are continue continuing to fight for. And you know what? That kind of rounds up the whole fucking series um, <laughs> so so glad that it was on i'm really happy that people have watched it and if you haven't watched it but you're listening to this because you're my mate honestly more for you why are you not watching it are you okay just like, put it I on think just put it on put it on put it on learn something then go mm-hmm. back and read more about the things you've learned and you know do more for yourself i think it's really really important that I know it's just, obviously we're creators in it, but I think it's so important that we support black art, art when it gets on mainstream television. Um, yeah. Um, open to other people. They're, look at me. I, I will go, I will don't go cinema. If there's a black film one, I will go and spend my 16 pounds or whatever the fuck it is in the cinema. <laughs> because it's so, so important to see that even if white people don't support it, our 3% can make it, uh, uh, is enough. For, yeah, that gives it an audience, you know? That's it, it gives it an audience. And that we have such TV um, execs and commissioners and filmmakers have been in the UK have been sold the narrative that black does not sell. And that is not true because mm. we love ourselves. We, 
there's not a black person I know who's not been streaming TV since they were a child because they love seeing other black people on television. Do you get That's me? It. So it's really important that when we do have these moments, we take them all in so that we keep getting these moments. Um, and all that to say, someone please, Sassy Jam, um, sorry, commission our next Sassy Jam production, please. Yeah, we've got things going, you know. We've got we things did. written. We've got we treatments got, going. We talk about the Black British experience too. We've got ideas. Oh, when you see what we've got coming, what? Don't even worry about it. Like, don't don't even worry about it, don't but support it. Yeah, but that's it. Thank you so much. Yeah. As we said, if there's other things that we want to, we feel moved to talk about, we will be back. Yes, we will. Good roundup. Cool. Thanks for listening. Bye.